0: Church, uh, take your copy of God's Word, and I'm going to invite you to turn with me to John chapter four. In the pew Bibles before you, that's on page 888. John chapter four. We're picking up a series that we started last week, the week before, the week after, uh, the week before that. So it's four weeks here. We started it four weeks ago, and it's entitled Entrusted. We're looking at John 1, John 3, John 4. We, are as Christians, are entrusted as witnesses with a message to share and a model to imitate. John chapter 4, last week, we introduced this theme of a model to imitate with Jesus going out of his way to Samaria to interact with this woman at the well. And Jesus goes out of his way and he crosses a barrier. And what I want us to do this Labor Day weekend is I want us to go back to the well. I want us to hear the rest of the story. I'm so thankful that you're here this morning. I don't think it's accidental. I think it's a providential invitation that God gives each and every one of us. Those of us who are followers of Christ, someone, somewhere, at some time, shared with us the message of the gospel most likely we saw a life of distinction as Matthew chapter 5 talks about us as Christians being called to, to be salt and light, but someone somewhere at some time introduced you to the message of Jesus, pointed you past them to him, and we are entrusted as witnesses. We're, we're entrusted with the message We must be born again, John chapter 3, and a a model to imitate. But as we look at John chapter 4, it's not just Jesus' model that we as Christians are called to imitate, but we see another model, hear the word of the Lord this morning. John chapter 4, starting in verse 7, reads, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit in spirit. And truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is Spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then His disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So a woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come. See a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? This is a long conversation. It's the longest conversation in John's gospel between Jesus and another person. And it was absolutely bewildering that Jesus would have had this conversation with one, a woman. Secondly, a Samaritan woman. The disciples had had no category for this. Last week, we looked at all of the reasons that there was enmity between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people. We looked at the historical reference. We won't go back and rehash all of that, but suffice it to say, no self-respecting Jewish rabbi would be talking to a woman in public. Nonetheless, not a woman who was a Samaritan woman in public. The disciples, they don't have a category for it. They're confused by it. fuddle by what Jesus is doing here, but he's not just talking to any woman. He, he transitions the conversation to verse 16, where they're having sort of a theological conversation about physical water and spiritual water. And then he says, hey, go call your husband and come here. This is going to transition the conversation from this arm's length to something that's deeply personal for him or her. Jesus is fully God, fully man, So he's able to probe into the nature of her home life here. we got five husbands, the string of broken relationships that is behind her. She is living with someone now who is not her husband. And Jesus has, has gone to, well, he's gone to meddling. I had Mr. Charles, he was in my first church, 35 people on Sunday morning. After every sermon, he would go out the same door. I was standing there greeting people. He'd say, preacher, you quit preaching and you went to meddling. I never knew with Mr. Charles what that kind of subjective line was where you went from preaching in his mind to meddling. But I'm here to tell you the Messiah has gone to meddle and his meddling is for a mission. And that mission is to introduce her to the source of living water. I think a lot of Sunday school teachers, a lot of preachers probably are going to need to find that woman at the well in heaven and apologize to her. Because we've often thought the worst of this woman. But notice what we don't know about this woman that oftentimes we've inferred by what we do know in this passage. She had five husbands. But nowhere in this passage do we see that she was the harlot at the well. Nowhere in this passage do we see that she had to have been a serial adulterer, a serial divorcee. We know she's not we know she's not living with someone that is her husband. She she's living with someone who, who is not her husband. We we see that clearly in the passage here. But if you go back to the cultural context of this passage and you begin to probe into this, a woman had had no right. So a woman, it would have been almost virtually impossible for her to initiate divorce. It would have been relatively easy in that culture for a man to divorce his wife. And so when we look at this passage with that insight, we could have five times that she was abandoned by her husbands. We don't know she could have been widowed by some of her husbands. You don't have to read Nathaniel Hawthorne's scarlet letter to know that people are giving scarlet letters and she has got a scarlet letter upon her. There's no doubt about that. But while we don't know all the details of her behind the scenes past, what we do know is that when she gets to the well, she's got a Ph.D. in pain. We don't know all the details, but by the time she gets to the well, she has got a lifetime achievement award of hurt. Hurt. And do not miss this, that in John chapter 3, Jesus has a conversation with a religious leader, the leader of leaders, a Pharisee, probably a member of the Sadducees, uh, uh, Nicodemus. He is a teacher of the Jewish people, and Jesus says to him, you must be born again, and he comes. He comes to this woman. This woman with, with pain in her background, hurt in her background, and he comes to her and he offers her, he offers her what she cannot receive with any of those previous relationships, and what she can't receive is true satisfaction, true living water. And your details are not these deto- del- details, but but I do want you to hear the heart of our Savior. Is a heart that, that goes out to the people who wish that they could rewind and redo some things in their life. In their life. The, the heart of the Savior is a heart that goes to people, maybe like you this morning, that woke up. And when you woke up as the alarm was going, the first thing that came to your mind was, how did I get here? Could you imagine this woman with all of the details that we do not know waking up saying, how did I get Here and the here is now looking into the eyes of Jesus. And her initial reflex is to do what? To divert the conversation. I mean, it's hard, it's hard to have someone probe so deeply into you. So she wants to introduce this sort of theological controversy as a rabbit. She wants Jesus to chase down this rabbit. Hey, you Jewish people say you got to worship in Jerusalem. We've got a mountain here in Samaria. We as Samaritans, we worship there. Which one is it going to be? And do not think that this tendency to deflect when we have conversations that are spiritual conversations when you have a conversation that intersects around something of, of tremendous importance, and especially when it comes to things that are, that are very deep to us, that, that the same temptation to deflect still lives on. To introduce this kind of theological rabbit, I remember in the second church I was pastoring, one of our church members who was old enough to be my grandmother called me and said, uh, Pastor David, I want you to come to my house. My husband hasn't been to church in about 40 years. I want you to come over here and convince him to come to church. Yeah. That was tough. He he wasn't really ready. I mean he, he was he was really kind, he was really nice, and we had a great conversation about Ole Miss and Mississippi State football. And we could talk all day about Auburn football and Alabama football. We could talk all day about the weather. We can talk all day about where he grew up and where I grew up and how I got to the church and I was pastoring. But as soon as we got to talking about things of spiritual matters, it was then just sort of reflexively said, well, well preacher, tell me this. What about all the hypocrites at church? I'm not going to show up at that church. I know, I know. I've lived in this community a long time. I know, I know what they say on Sunday and what they do on Saturday. I'm never going to show up in that church. What are you going to say about that? You know what he was doing? He was doing the same thing this woman at the well was doing. And, and, and the deflections, they change. Hey, what about all the different denominations? What about all the different Bible translations? There is going to be a time when you, when you press into a conversation and a conversation around spiritual matters, a conversation around the gospel where there is sort of this, this real temptation to deflect from it. And notice that Jesus, he gives us a model of what to do. She's asking a where question and Jesus, he just he just goes above her question with a who and a what. She says, where are we supposed to worship? Look again in your copy of God's word and notice that Jesus says, hey, let me answer your question with a more important answer. And your question is where, but let's talk about who. Let's talk about the who of worship. Verse 21, we worship God the Father. God the Father is spirit. How do we worship? Verse 24, we worship in spirit and in truth. You're asking a where question. Let's get to the heart of the matter. And let's talk about a who and a how. And notice in verse 26, all of this is to point her back to him. So all this meddling has a mission. And that mission is to introduce this woman with a parched soul to the living water that only the Messiah can provide. Verse 26, I who speak to you am he. He. It's kind of convoluted in the English. This is the your standard version. But it captures a little bit of the nuance of this passage. You, you are supposed to hear, I am, I am, I am. These are, these are echoes of the Exodus narrative. These are echoes of Moses. These are echoes of Moses saying, I've got to go back. I've got to go back to Egypt. And they're going to ask me, who sent me to tell Pharaoh to let the people go? And God says, I am. And here we have Jesus saying, I am. I who speak to you, am he. So here we have Jesus that shows up on the scene. And what we discover is, is this is a story of a a changed life. This is a woman who encounters the, the I am in Jesus the living God, the only son of God who has come to this earth to provide her what all of those relationships cannot provide. Even if we don't know the details of those relationships, she is looking for love in all the wrong places. And now she's able to drink from the fountain that will never run dry. She comes to that well and it was just another day in her life. But guess what? She will leave that well absolutely changed. How do I know that? We'll look at the passage again. We see progress and we see passion in this passage. Let me just uh, parse those out real quickly here. Notice the progress in her spiritual life. Verse 28, the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? It seems like an incidental detail. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John is, is, is letting us see into the heart of this woman by the symbol of that jar that she leaves behind. And we can't, we can't peer back to know exactly why she leaves this jar behind. But what we are able to see is how, how John uses that in this moment because it tells us something about our own conversion. She goes to the well with an empty jar to be filled. And she leaves behind her jar because she is drunk from what would fill her soul. She comes with an empty jar that represents the heartache of her old life. She comes with an empty jar that represents that, that she's never tasted of grace. But when she tastes of the grace that never runs dry, she leaves behind that empty jar this happens in the heart. This happens in the heart of every one of us who have drunk from the living water that Jesus provides. J.C. Ryle, a pastor, once said grace, once introduced into the heart, drives out old taste and interest. A converted person no longer cares for what he once cared for, the empty jars of life. A new tenant's in the house, a new pilot is at the helm. The whole world looks different. I heard someone once say that when they became a follower of Jesus, it was like their life went from black and white to all in color. You've heard it said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. Now I'm fine blind but now I see you see the cry of her conversion is symbolized in this jar that she leaves behind and if you are a follower of Jesus you leave behind the apostle Paul would say it this way in second Corinthians chapter 5 therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new what creation therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new the old has passed away behold, the new has come. I hope you know this, that when the Spirit of God captures your heart through his grace and the finished work of Jesus, in that moment, it is your justification. This is when you are made right with God, and it is a moment in time. But your sanctification, that is your growth in Christ, that happens not in a moment in time, but it happens in uh, the moments of the time of your life. All those moments. And so a part of us leaving behind the, the old jars that are, that are empty pursuits is, is seeing how, how Jesus fills us and changes us and moves us and grows us. And, and that growth is not, it's not linear. It's not up, up and away. Sometimes we have spiritual growth spurts some of you who are followers of Jesus can know this really well. Look back over your life. Look back in the rearview mirror of your life and you can see at 14 or 17 or 20 or 25, Jesus has saved you, but they were areas of your life that he redeemed and began to work in you in a way that was this spiritual growth spurt. And you can look back at a D-NOW weekend. You can look back at a college conference that you went to. You can look back to a mission trip where you had this, this spiritual growth spurt. Almost like a twelve year old who, who goes home uh, the last day of school and comes back for the first day of school after spring or after the summer break and, and he or she have put on, you know, five inches, six inches. And sometimes in our life we can have these moments of, of deep spiritual growth. Other times in our life, we can have moments of spiritual regression. We can grieve the spirit. We we can be spiritually stunted where we come back to the well and we pick up the empty water jar, the empty habits. We put on the flesh. We put on the the works of of, of our past right there and we, we clothe ourselves in the world once again. And all of us know what this looks like because we've lived this in our spiritual journey. You see, the, the testimony of your faith in Jesus is not perfection, but it is progress. And I just want you to look back over your journey, whether that journey has been weeks or that journey has been months or that journey has been years. And I want you just to, to just ponder how far not you have come, but how far he has brought you. This woman leaves behind the old water jar because she has tasted of something that will never run out. But notice not only this progress, but notice her passion for the spiritually lost. Notice the cry of her conversion. The woman left her water jar, went away into the town, and she had something to say to the people. Notice what she says. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? It's a question mark. It's not an exclamation mark. It's not a period here. This is a question. She, she is a person who has tasted of the living water that the Messiah can give her. And she's got to tell someone. Just the other day, we were cleaning out one of our closets at the house. And we found an old Canon picture and ph- photograph kind of carrier. And in that were these memory cards that we had. It was an old camera that we used years and years ago. And we had all of these memory cards and I hooked it up to the computer and there were thousands of pictures, many of which we had seen in other ways, but many of which we had never seen before that took us back 17 years and took us back 16 years, took us back 11 years. Many of those were the labor and delivery room where Hayden, Luke and Jonathan, our three sons were born. And many of those were these action shots of their wails of birth. Their, their cries of the oxygen flowing into their lungs and filling their lungs. And that first cry that comes forth from them, which is, which is a cry that is a sweet sound to any mother and to any father, because it is, a, it is a sign of physical life. And if you are a follower of Jesus, there is a cry of your conversion. When the spiritual oxygen of the spirit of God fills you, it comes forth out of you. And you've got to tell someone. You can't contain that. A part of the authenticity of our conversion is this cry of conversion. Call it a confession of faith. Call it a profession of faith. In this Baptist church that you're sitting in here, it's one reason we have... The baptistry before us is one reason that, that we baptize people as, as a way for them to cry out. As they're buried with Christ in baptism, as they're raised to walk in newness of life. It is a sermon that they're preaching without words. As they identify with Jesus in his model, in his example, but also symbolically, we're able to show friends, family members, believers... What Christ has done is they once were blind, now they see. Once were lost, now they're found. But the cry of conversion is not just a cry of baptism, it is a a cry that goes forth as as we tell people something has happened to me. There is something different. I am not the same. I don't have it all figured out. This woman at the well doesn't have it all figured out. If you look there, this is not a this is not a, a theologically robust statement that she's giving. She is saying, "Can this be the Christ?" The early apostles and the early church fathers are not going to pull upon her to to, uh, draw out the apostles' creed. No, these are not the words. She is still in motion. She is still figuring out what has happened to me here. Who have I encountered? But notice her words are honest. And they're a heartfelt, simple declaration of what she's experienced. And it is an invitation. Come and see. Come and see. He has told me everything I've ever done. And it is a really good reminder to all of us that are in this room who are followers of Jesus, who sometimes are paralyzed by an over analysis of everything we think we need to have in order to be able to share our faith. There are some of you in this room that you're paralyzed with fear, thinking to yourself, I can never have a gospel center conversation with someone because, well, what if someone asks me, What about how we got our Bible? What about all the different denominations? What if someone asks me a question that I don't have an answer to? I don't have an answer to uh, the problem of evil here. I surely couldn't share with someone what Christ has done in my life. Notice this woman feels none of those hesitations. Notice that something has happened to her. She is, she is drunk of the living water and, and the natural expression of that is to go and tell. And notice the response of this. She tells an honest story that's her story that is Jesus focused. And many Samaritans, verse 39, from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. We need, we need, to, we need to dust off that word. Some of you grew up in traditions where you would have Sunday evening services and people would get up and they would share their testimony. They, they, would, they would, in the words of John Newton, that great hymn writer of Amazing Grace, they would tell the story of how Jesus captured their hearts and the amazing grace that they had drunk from, that living water. And they would tell those stories. It's one of the reasons that that we're sharing stories at the end of each of these messages is so that you can just hear anew and afresh that the God who has captured the heart of this woman is a God who is still in the business of capturing sinners' hearts and offering to any parched soul that is in this sanctuary a living water that if you drink from it, you will never thirst again. And there are all types of options that are on the market To say, hey, drink of this and drink of this and drink of this and this will satisfy. But I'm here to tell you, as this woman will tell you, that there is only one water that will satisfy your deepest thirst. There's only one water that you can drink from. And that is the living water of Jesus Christ that will never run out. That has no expiration date on it. And he goes out to any and every person that is here, no matter your background, no matter your past, no matter your religious achievements or your failures, quote unquote, in life. He goes for you. He is here for you. And this woman tells the message. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, he, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. Verse 42, they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. There's a old missionary from the early 20th century. His name is D.T. Niles. And I love his definition of just sharing your faith. His definition of evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where he, where she found bread. It's one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. A couple of months ago, someone, well, it's not someone, Brian Howard, our student minister here at Dawson, along with Aubrey Johnston and Ben Hewitt, our student associates, they were doing a training for uh, mission trips that we were taking to Ecuador and then to Wells. And they introduced me to something that I think is really helpful to my own journey of sharing my testimony. Sometimes we need some handrails. You know, where do we get started with this? And they introduced me to something that was just called a 15 second testimony. How do we tell people what Jesus has done in our life? How do we like this woman at the well, share an honest story that points people to Jesus in 15 seconds, two descriptions of you before Christ, 15 seconds, two descriptions of you after Christ. We go something like this, before there was a time in my life, there was a time in my life where I was insecure and looking for acceptance in all the wrong places but I place my faith in Jesus and I have a peace and a confidence in who I am in him. Do you have a story like that? Just two descriptions, you before, you after, and a simple invitation, come and see but don't just take my word for it. Over the last three weeks, we've heard the the story of Cole and Mary and Joe. We went back over those stories and began to realize that the Samaritan woman's testimony is alive and well in their stories. Be encouraged, church, as you listen. I had just finished college and I moved to Birmingham for my job and met someone at work who became a really good friend. We talked a lot and he got the courage to share his faith with me. I joined a fraternity and one guy shared the gospel with me and he shared what it meant to be a a believer and follower of Christ. We prayed together and, and I accepted Christ. I had wanted to do it, but I just never really seemed to Get the courage to go up to someone and talk about it. And then that week I got to talk with um, Mr. Brad Gowing, and um, we had a great talk and we prayed, and then I accepted Jesus. God has done a lot of things since that day. It's been amazing to see like the family members come to faith and to see that change within our family and people I love the most. And you know, I've I've been able to share my faith with some of my friends. God definitely put that desire in me to share what was happening with others. Several months later I was waiting tables and one day a lady working in the kitchen said, so where do you go to church? And I said, well, why, why do you ask? And she said, well, you're just different from all these other people working here. And I, um, I, shared, I, I shared the gospel with her. Ever since I became a Christian, me and my friends, we like to go and talk about it to other people and not just treat them as kind of outcasts, but kind of go to them. If you are a follower of Jesus in this sanctuary, it's because of the grace of God that has captured your heart. But he has used someone, somewhere, at some time to point you to the sole source of salvation and that is Jesus. There was someone who pointed you to him. Will you be that someone? Let us pray.